Welcome everybody to our first Branches Beach service in years. Can we just celebrate the fact that we are here right now? It is so amazing to be gathered with you out here on the beach. Welcome to all of you. This is a tradition for us. It's a tradition that we didn't get to practice for a long time, but it means so many important things to us because in this setting we all get to be together we have different morning services because we can't all pack into that senior center space at one time typically on a sunday so to get everybody together man it's like a family reunion when we have these gathered services together we're outside the building i mean this is who we are the church is people it is not a structure it's not a building it's not the name it's not the brand and uh, we love doing everything with excellence but we don't need the production values we don't need the setting because we're together and, and this is chiefly what the church is all about. So, so grateful for those of you who are with us. I met some new people here since Easter. Can we welcome everybody who's new since Easter, the week after? Maybe people who've received this invitation this morning. I want to welcome you to this Branches community and let you know that, you know, we're a community really of simplicity. You know, we're going through the Word of God. We're going through the Scriptures. That's where we're studying we're learning what it means to love, to love God, to love each other as brothers and sisters in the family of God, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's, that's so much of what the scriptural teaching is all about. And I want to share with you one practical way that we are going to be loving our neighbors together. We're having our first annual Love HB that's going on this coming Saturday. Okay, this coming Saturday. It's hosted through the platform that we created with other churches called Serve City. It's a church collaborative, multiple churches in the city. There's no competition. We're, we're all part of the same kingdom. We're, we're serving the same God. We are brothers and sisters across the different congregations. So we've come together under this platform of Serve City, and we're going to be serving in different locations around the city, in the Oakview community, at Oakview Elementary, as well as at Adventure Playground. Now, I want you to know we need about 120 volunteers to do everything that we've committed to do, and we have 53 signed up. So if you heard my voice crack when I said 53, that's because in six days, we're going to need about 67 more of you to say that you can play a part in Love HB. And I want you to play a part. So if, if you want to sign up, that's been something you've been thinking about, you, you can come with any level of skill. Zero skill all the way up to a lot of skill. And we will employ you in some service projects in the city. And it's all to witness to, like, this is the character of Christ. Christ said, greatness is found in humility. It's found in service. That's the way that we want to posture ourselves to our neighbors and to this city. So it's a, it's a wonderful way that we can do that. But we need at least 67 more of you to say you will sign up. You can go to brancheshb.com. You can click the link for Love HB, and there's an easy way to sign up. Even if you can't make it for the whole day, foods provided, all that good stuff, uh, we'd love to see you there. And if you do have some skill, all right, if you are a skilled laborer, not as in you tell yourself you're skilled, but other people have looked at what you've done and said, okay, geez, you have skill, and you'd like to help oversee a project that we have, I'd love to talk with you over some chicken. We are going to have chicken later. We can be eating chicken at the same time. You can come up to me. You can say, hey, I've got skill. I'll say, thank you. Please join us for this coming Saturday. We also have baptisms that we're going to be having a little bit later this morning. Can we clap for those who have already decided to be baptized? There's quite a few of you. Uh, to just let you guys know, baptism is this public declaration of your faith in Jesus. 
It's this identification with Jesus. Just as Jesus died on the cross for our sins and wrongdoing, for the ways that we lived apart from God's plans, so when someone goes into the water, it's symbolic. It's a picture of them identifying with the death of Christ, that they are dying to their old life of sin, the life of living apart from God. They're being buried in the water as Jesus was buried in the grave. He was raised to life three days later as evidence of his power over death, the same power that we're going to experience through our faith in him. We're going to be raised as well in that act of baptism, out of the water, being washed, being washed through that sacrifice on the cross, all those sins, all that life that was behind us being washed away and raised to that newness of life, of walking with God for the rest of our lives. Many people are going to be making that decision, and even if you didn't plan to, if that sun stays out, that may help convince you that you want to get in the water. And guess what? You don't have to have come prepared. You can make that decision this morning. If you just feel that this is the time that you're to be baptized, that you're to make this public declaration of faith, we'd love to receive you down at the beach along with those who have already made those decisions. And I want you to know this was a decision that every follower of Jesus did make that we have recorded in the scriptures. Everyone who followed Jesus made this decision to be identified with him in baptism, so we'd love to celebrate those baptisms. Please, when the service is over and we're moving now, we move with us and cheer for those folks. We spend some time out there, we pray with them, but nothing is better than being welcomed back with your church family after a decision like that and a declaration like that. Okay, but as always, let me move into the scriptures that we're going to be studying this morning. We're in the book of Matthew. We've been in the book of Matthew for some time. And uh, this, this week is no different just because we're down on the beach. So we're in Matthew chapter 24. And, and last week, Jesus began answering, somewhat answering, a series of questions related to when the destruction of the temple, the old Jewish temple, would occur and when his second coming would arrive, when the consummation of the age would occur. And though he gave some pretty clear indications of when the destruction of the temple would occur, he was deliberately less precise about his return and the consummation of the age. Even so, Jesus tells us all to be ready in the passage that we're going to be studying this morning. So what does that mean, to be ready? Let's find out. To be ready for his impending return. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. I'll start where I finished last week. Jesus says, But about that day, his second coming, or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch! Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night this thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you all must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the Master has put in charge of the servants in the household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, 
and in an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, ten young women, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the young women woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us, both you and us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The young women who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let's pause there this morning. You know, if you are listening to the passage I just read, you'll see that Jesus announces the nature of his impending return, and he announces it in a couple different ways. He links it to this allusion to the flood of Noah's day, and to these two stories, these two short parables that contrast the unprepared from the prepared at the time of his coming. Now, he starts where we ended last week. Like I said, no one knows the day or the hour of his coming. Not the angels, not even him. No one. No one knows. Not you, not me, not the guy with 100 views on YouTube, the videos he's producing, not the guy with 100,000 views on YouTube that he's producing, predicting the return. No one knows when he's coming back. But he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when he returns. What was it like in the days of Noah? Well, the way Jesus describes it, it was pretty normal. People were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were working. It was just a bunch of average Joes being really average when the flood came and swept them all away. He says, that's how it's going to be. Two people in the field, one taken. Two people in the mill grinding grain, one taken and one left. So pause for a second here. What is the setting of Jesus' second coming, his impending return? What's the sign he's just about here indicated in the passage that he is coming near? Well, nothing. Everything will be absolutely normal. Two people are going to be answering work emails. Two people are going to be working side by side at the Del Taco drive-thru. You know, it's a simultaneous worldwide event. You would assume when he returns, half the world is going to be asleep. Or they should be sleeping with their up late watching Netflix or something. I mean, that's sort of the atmosphere that Jesus gives us. It's going to be a very normal time. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. If the homeowner knew when the burglar was coming to steal his stuff, he would have kept the doors locked. He would have been up. You know, if I had known when my iPad was going to get grifted from my car a few weeks back, I, I wouldn't have done that, right? I wouldn't have let my car stay unlocked. But the fact of the matter is there was two things at play. Number one, I was irresponsible. I take, I take ownership of that. I apologize to my wife. Number two, I didn't know that was going to be the night that they would break in. I was unprepared. Jesus says, so we will all be seeing Jesus return at an unexpected time. We've got to be ready, always ready. What does readiness look like to keep watch? 
Does it mean losing sleep then? Does it mean anxiously staring at the ceiling while you're in bed? Does being ready to keeping watch for his return mean you're anxiously pouring over predictions? Please don't do that last one. Please don't pour over predictions because then maybe the worst thing might happen. You might actually think you know. And you'll be wrong and it will be sad because no one knows. Have I said that yet? But it's like this big giant red don't press me button in the middle of the Bible that everybody's like, I got to press it. I, I've got to make a prediction, right? But consider again what Jesus said. Everyone is going about their normal life when he comes back. He doesn't say, you know, there's one that's working in the field and there's one that's at the Times Square. Jesus is, is returning, you know, uh, the ball is dropping and all the Christians are there in Times Square waiting for it to happen because we all knew it was going to happen. He says, no, everybody, believer and non-believer alike, Christian and non-Christian alike, is going to be just living normal life. So readiness is not found in speculation or predictions, but it is defined in the parables that we just read and those that follow in the weeks to come. So starting with the parable of the faithful and unfaithful servants, the premise is simple enough. A master discharges his duties to the two servants. Which servant is going to be rewarded by the master when he returns after a long journey? Well, the one the master finds doing what he told them to do when he returns, and so that servant is rewarded. Now, on the other hand, you have the other servant who says, man, Master's been gone a long time. And he sort of takes advantage of that reality and that space where he's seemingly free to act with as much latitude as he wants and as maliciously as he desires. There was a time when I was working at age 16, you know, voice cracking age 16 year old, for the church where I first came to faith. I was on the maintenance crew. It was a large church, a lot of buildings, and so. One day I was tasked with this job of painting the children's buildings. And that's buildings. There's about five of them, multiple classrooms. And so I was charged with painting them white and the interiors. And they, they showed me how to paint because you got to teach a 16-year-old how to paint. And it took a while for me to figure this out. You know, you don't just fling the roller because paint goes everywhere. All right, so I had to learn how to paint. And then the boss discharged me with those duties. He said, okay, now you're going to paint this whole thing. And I can tell you, I looked at it, it as a big job. And I was being left alone. And it was completely silent in that building. And, uh, you know, those are some of my motivations. But I'll tell you, the only thing that's more tedious and slow than watching paint dry is watching me paint. That's how slow I was. I wasn't motivated. And, you know, all it took for me to understand how much I totally failed at this responsibility was my boss walking in a couple hours later looking at how far I'd gotten and looking at me and then walking out and I got the message loud and clear but when the master returns if we've neglected our responsibilities that he's charged us with as our creator the judgment is so severe I need not repeat it for the sake of the children who are present right now right it was something about being cut up in this passage but what this story indicates is that the concept of being ready that state of readiness for Jesus' return, it has much more to do with a lifestyle of discipline or the absence of it. Like if I had locked my car every night like a responsible human being, my iPad wouldn't have been stolen. If that was just my discipline, just lock the car door, it wouldn't have mattered. 
that I had no idea when that thief was going to arrive. Likewise, my same ignorance was shared across both these servants. Neither servant knew when the master was returning. One saw that as an opportunity in itself for self-indulgence. Man, he's, he's gone a long time. We got some room. We can kind of set up life for ourselves. The other just did what the master asked for. Did they do what the master asked for on the day of the master's returning? Like, oh my goodness, he's coming. I better get everything ready and act like I was doing it. No. The faithful servant was doing what the master asked every single day, day in and day out. So when the master was returning was really ultimately irrelevant because the master could have showed up yesterday, today, tomorrow, a week from now, and they would have found the servant in the same posture no matter which day they arrive. So what I mean to say is being ready for Christ's return has less to do with this elevated anxiety level, being high strung, deep diving obscure passages, as much as it has to do with this faithful approach to daily living for God's purposes and in line with Jesus' teachings. That's what it means to be ready. This ideal of a calm, consistent, and long-term faithfulness is further evidence in the parable of the prepared and unprepared young women. The setting is this nighttime processional. It was part of the menagerie of wedding festivities that they'd have in the Jewish culture in the first century. In the Jewish culture, I'm pretty sure it did not cost the equivalent of $100,000 like it does in Orange County to have a wedding. And I bet they had a lot more fun based on the details that we get from the passage. And during these ceremonies that are so filled with life, you get these 10 young women, half of which have their lamps ready for this nighttime parade that's going to go on and half do not. And this is an important detail, this oil that they have ready. Because with these torches and these lamps that they had in the ancient world, you'd have this strip of cotton cloth that would need to be drenched in oil for it to burn. Now, if you didn't have any oil on the cloth, you couldn't light the darn thing and it wouldn't stay lit. They'd burn out instantly. The equivalent would be if we were having a nighttime processional with our iPhone lights. Some of you have done this at you know, a concert when the feeling's just right. Everybody pull out your phones and you got the iPhone light swaying. It's almost the same as the lighter, right? But, but if you don't have your phone charged, you don't go to bed with your phone charging and you wake up, there's no charge. You can plug it in real fast, but you're not going to get it to turn on. You're not going to have a light. So trouble comes when the bridegroom shows up a little later in the evening than everybody expected. After everyone has gone to sleep, I don't know what was going on. Was the bridegroom getting some cold feet? We don't have any details. We just know he came a little later. But the key is everyone went to sleep. But some prepared before going to bed, while others just thought, well, I'll sort it out later. Regretfully, when the call came, there wasn't enough time for those who were unprepared to go run out and buy some oil, and consequently, they were left out of the wedding. So here we go again. What does this indicate about our readiness response for Christ's impending return? Well, in Mark's gospel, the telling is a little less realistic to life. Jesus says, I could come at night. I could come in the middle of the night. I could come when the rooster crows, which is real early. I could come at dusk. So don't have me coming back and you guys are asleep. Does he mean we're literally supposed to stay awake? No, he's conveying the heart of being ready. Matthew is a little bit more practical. In Matthew, Jesus suggests it's just fine to sleep. It's humanly required. All right, it's just as fine to go about your daily life as you are prepared for the return of Christ. We're going to live normal lives. That's what we read in this passage. We're going to be eating, 
drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. We're going to work the Taco Bell drive-thru. We're going to be answering emails. We're going to live our normal life. It was late. The bridegroom was late in coming. So guess what? The prepared and the unprepared all fell asleep when they got tired. We're going to be normal guys as Christians. We're going to be functioning human beings all the way up till Jesus' arrival. We don't have to go out, buy a bunker, live off the grid. Everybody's got to be trained as survivalists. Nowhere does it say that in the Bible. In fact, it suggests quite the opposite, that we're going to be embedded in the world, doing the normal things that everybody does, even as we are differentiated. So what was the difference between the prepared and unprepared young women? What's the difference about us? Well, the young women who were prepared lived with foresight, vision. They put first things first. They gave priority to the wedding processional that was to come by preparing the lamps rather than putting it off for later, rather than procrastinating. I've had this habit of putting off something that's very key, very important, I would say. I've gotten very close to finishing my application for life insurance, but I've never quite gotten there to finish it off. You know, I always think, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, and that would have been fine a couple years ago if I'd been hit by a bus, all right? It was not great. But we would have gotten by. But now my poor wife, if I get hit with a bus, we got five little ones. What am I doing? Like, I got to get this thing done. I got to finish this out so that they're taken care of in that event. And I know now I'm going to have a few responsible adults here on my back, as well as my wife, on the other side of sharing this with you. But I keep saying, I'll do it later. I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. What if, God forbid, I walk across the street today and bam. There I am, hit by a bus. Wow, what irony. He talked about it in the sermon. Here I was the whole time saying, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, I'll do it later. If I get hit today, what's my wife going to say? She's going to say, Andrew, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you just do it? But there are so, so many people that fall into that constant repetition when it comes to their faith. Now, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more ultimate than their relationship with their creator. They say, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. I'll get right with God later. I'll start following Jesus later. You know, I'll get involved in community. I'll step into community later on. I'll, I'll associate and be consistent with church later on. I'll start learning to read the Bible and applying what it says later on. I'll get to dealing with my finances and honoring God with my time later on. I'll get baptized later on. I got some time. I got some time. And they put it off, you know. Wait till I'm done with this season of life. We love talking about seasons of life right now. Oh, let me get through this season. Let me get through this semester. Let me get through this financial goal. Let me get my life straightened out before I take that next step. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later and later. Never comes. They just keep kicking the can with their spirituality. Kick the can down the road. Kick the can down the road. And the day never comes. And they end up unknown to God and by His people because of the delays that accumulate into a life of delay. Readiness means putting first things first. So I say, get ready today, right now. Get right with God. Give your life to Jesus if you haven't given your life to Jesus. Get baptized today. If you haven't been baptized, get into community. Make that commitment. Say, I'm going to be consistent in church community. We've already got one responding right now. 
say, man, I am going to look at my time. I am going to look at my money. I have to assess my values. I've been saying it for a decade. Say, I am going to pick up a book and learn to read the script. I'm going to buy a study Bible for the first time. I'm going to go on Amazon today. I'm going to buy a study Bible and I'll start reading God's Word. I've been saying I'm going to do it. But I keep saying I'll do it later. Today is the day. Be wise. It's time to put first things first. It's time for a new life of consistency and discipline. A new chapter. A new chapter in line with the Master's directives. That's what living in light of Christ's return looks like. It's not that you live this strange, detached, anxiety-ridden, you're staying up through the night, concerned that the thief is going to arrive and he's going to catch you in the middle of where you're living. Readiness actually produces the opposite outcome. When God is your priority, when your habits are to live in line with Jesus, you rest so much easier every single day knowing that whether he returns today, he returns tomorrow, he returns a week from now, it's really irrelevant because no matter which day he returns, he's going to find you and I in the same posture, doing what he called us to do. That's what it means to be ready. That's what it means to be prepared. You have more peace. You have more calm. You have more security than anybody else in this world. So I want to invite you to consider with me, if you can, I know there's distractions, I know we're out here on the beach, but I really think this is a moment for some of you to turn the page, to start the new chapter, to make a new commitment, to take another step, to take your first step into faith of walking with Jesus, knowing who your Creator is, to take another step in your faith. But let's discern that together. I want us to pray together for a moment here. And as we pray, this is one question I'm going to return to a few times. What is the Lord asking of you to do that you've been putting off? What's He been presenting to you? What's He made clear to you that you said later, 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 I'll get to it later? That's not a life of readiness. That's not a life of living awake, of putting first things first. So as the Lord calls those things to mind, let's take action today. If it is to place your faith in Him, place your faith in Him today. If it is to get baptized, you've been putting it off, maybe, maybe, today. Today is the day. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that as our lives come into line with you, there isn't anxiety, there isn't fear, there isn't this wondering and this speculation and this pondering. There is a peace that overcomes us when we just are walking in line with you, when, when we're doing the things that you called us to do. We're never doing that with perfection, Lord. Your grace covers everything in our lives because of what you did on the cross. But Lord, that's not an excuse for us to just sit back, kick up our feet, say we'll get to the most important things later on. Lord, call those to the forefront. Help us to live with foresight, with vision for what's ultimate. Lord, if there's some here this morning who have not committed their hearts to you, there's nothing more significant, nothing more important than for them to honor you, to offer themselves to you, to place their faith in you, to make this the first step of their faith journey. Right now, if that's you, would you just commit your heart to God? You don't have to have the perfect words. There's no particular formula. You can just say, Lord, I know what you did on the cross, that you, you went there to make me new, to wash away any of my wrongdoing, to bring me into this newness of life. I'm choosing it today. I'm putting first things first. I'm going to walk with you. 
Lord, if there's some who need to be reminded that they've never made this decision to be baptized, but today's the day, Lord, would you confirm that in their hearts? Lord, if it's that stepping into community, that they go on the other side of today after meeting some people, they say, okay, that's it. We're done moving from church to church or being inconsistent. We're going to be here. We're going to be here. Lord, would you confirm that if that's their next step, Lord? God, for all of us, what are we putting off? Is there something we've been saying we'll get to later? Is it opening your word? Is it understanding your word, Lord? Just leave us with those impressions, God. Be clear with us so that we know what it means to put first things first, to be ready for your return. So just speak powerfully, even as we worship this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.